This is the CompuSchmooze podcast, episode 25, for August 14th, 2008. In this podcast, we have two interview segments. First, we'll speak with the creators of a new social networking site focused on politics at the grassroots local level. Then, a chat with one of the inventors of MyShare, an ingenious device that lets you copy content from one iPod to another legally. Hi there, I'm Steve Lubetkin, host of the CompuSchmooze podcast. Since 1996, I've been writing the CompuSchmooze technology column in the Jewish Community Voice of Southern New Jersey on the web at jewishvoicesnj.org. This podcast is a supplement to the newspaper column, and it lets my readers get behind the column to hear the voices of the people who provide us with our stories. We'll get to our first segment after a message from our sponsor, GoToMeeting.com. We're really happy to announce the GoToMeeting, the best way to conduct an online meeting, has just gotten better because now GoToMeeting is available for the Mac. Start your online meetings on the fly, or you can schedule them in advance. Everybody in the meeting logs on to your meeting during a conference call, and they see your computer desktop right on the computer screen. So you can show them exactly what you're talking about. If you haven't tried GoToMeeting free, now is the time. You can get a free 30-day trial by visiting gotomeeting.com forward slash techpodcasts. That's G-O-T-O meeting.com forward slash techpodcasts for a free trial. Now let's get to our program. Travis Todd and Scott Shayer are the creators of growvotes.org a social media website that lets people learn about the political positions of local candidates. That's a departure since, if you look at political websites, most of them deal with national issues and national candidates. So it's a little bit of a different approach to politics, and it's politics with a social media spin. We spoke to Scott and Travis in our studios here in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. Travis, you started the site. Scott, you work on the site. Tell us a little bit about it. Who wants to start? Um, well, I guess the, the story behind the site is um, in the 2004 presidential elections, I went into the voting booth and uh, knew who I was going to vote for for president and um, didn't realize there was all these other people on the ballot. And I was like, who are these other people? And how am I supposed to figure out who these people are? And kind of voted by party and, you know, even just kind of guessed on a couple of them. And I was thinking to myself the whole time, this is not the not a good way to vote, and uh, so we, I decided that there was a way to fix this, and uh, it had to do with using social networking and building upon the community that exists already in uh, local politics to get voters to understand who their local candidates and um, local representatives are. How did you go about assembling this? Um, well, I met Scott um, when we studied in uh, England London, yeah. together and um, knew he was a good business guy and so kind of got him on to do some of the, the business uh, relations side of things and then I have a I come from a web design uh, background and kind of taught myself a lot of the programming and just programmed it over the last year um, learning as I go and um, we did, had to do a lot of research into politics and and elections and stuff because neither of us come from a political background at all. Political knowledge, we were just kind of... Poli-sci minor in Rowan really doesn't uh, 
give you much <laughs> what what made credentials. you what made you decide to to go with a political kind of networking site rather than some other kind of social networking site well it was a niche that i think um hadn't been filled there was a lot of talk um over the last year about um vertical niche social ne social networking where um say you know a facebook or a myspace is a broad social network covering a broad range of topics and kind of a, a one-size-fits-all kind of network. But a lot of the value in social networking um, that's being projected is, is these vertical niche social networks where um, you know, it's one topical interest where people can group together about that topic. And I just thought it was an easy, the easiest way to get all the information on the site about the elections um, was through user-generated content instead of us having to go out and hire a team to research every upcoming local election in the nation and We're put sure it on our websites just like that though that have spent years and kids volunteer every summer just to put this information and verify it and re-verify it online and you just can't keep up with it because every year there's another election another person running right. it's a non-stop job and plus I think there's a little bit more value when it comes when the information is actually coming from the person who's running for the election I think it has a little bit more value than going through a third party. So the candidates post their own information on the site, mm -hmm. and people comment on it. How does that work? Yeah, um, I mean the the candidates sign up and um, say I'm running for this election, and the benefit for them is they get to be in contact with their voter base through um, our geographic, um, I guess, positioning of the this website because the voters say here's here's my voting area. And the candidates say, here's the area that my election influences. And then we match the two up and, and give the candidates um, access to all the voters in their area. And the voters all obviously get to learn about who their candidates are. And then they can communicate, um, post comments back and forth, talk about um, you know, what issues matter to them. And um, so far, it's working out pretty good. Now, is the site, uh, do you have a political position or are you trying to be sort of neutral yeah. Yeah. nonpartisan completely oh, nonpartisan and that was from the get-go what we were set out to do because there's already a lot of um, partisan discussion forums and um, resources um, for elections but we really wanted to be purely informational and um, open to everybody how has the site been received is it uh, growing visitors as well as growing votes <laughs> Well, slowly. We just launched two weeks ago, so it's really new. But um, Two weeks ago would be uh, late April, right? Or yeah. early May. April 28th, I think, was the April day. April 28th, I think, was the day we went okay. live. Um, and we're beta testing now in Maryland and New Jersey and um, D.C. area. And um, so we're trying to start out slow to work out some of the bugs and stuff. Um, but yeah, so far we've got a pretty good user base going. We've got a few candidates signed up, and um, got just, one. Just got one from Camden County. Yeah, just got one from Camden County, so. which is here in New Jersey, where we're taping this today. Yeah. Um, how um, how are you working in terms of the local elections versus the national elections? Are you doing anything with national? Well, it's open to. I mean, it's completely open to national, statewide, city elections, county yeah, elections. Yeah, county elections. The, f the guy signed up today as a freeholder. Yeah. Um, going up for election. But uh, we're focusing mostly on the local election because we feel like that's the area that most people know little about. And so it's an area that doesn't get a lot of attention. And those are the guys who influence us the most. Right. The small guys that basically no one knows much about, and you can't find much about them online. Because when I went for a uh, 
let's see, I went to go vote in Medford last year for a mayor, and I went online when I got my ballot in the mail, and I Googled all the guys who were on that ballot, and I found no one online, <laughs> any information for me to base my, uh, my vote on. So I went in there just by the information I got and then by the party that I vote for is how I voted. So you think uh, it's pretty clear that the national candidates are a lot more sophisticated about using social networks than local candidates are? Yeah, and, and they just get a lot more media time. And, um, and money. Yeah, and money. Donations are a big factor when uh, building nice websites that are up there right now. So I think, yeah, I think most people are pretty informed about their national candidates. And, I mean, of course, we're going to welcome them on our site. It would be great. But um, for now, we're focusing on, you know, getting the, the people who influence us more directly is our local politicians and local candidates. And, you know, if you have a problem, you're not going to be able to go to the president and say, you know, there's, I'm, there's potholes on my street. I need somebody to fill and this and that. Some, you know, you need to know who to go to for that. And you need to know that you've voted for somebody that, you know. You believe can do the job right? Yeah. Now, I'm just taking a tape stop here for a minute to tell you what's going to happen. I'm going to intersperse the conversation with pictures of the website. So what I want to ask you about next is some of the features. Okay. What can people do when they visit okay. the website? So we'll count it down in three, two, one. Travis, what are some of the features of the website? Talk about what people can do when they visit growvotes.org. Okay. Well, um, you don't need to be a member to, um, to use the features, first off. Um, so if you're not a member, you can come to the website, um, search for, by, filter down um, the elections in your area from national to statewide to county to city, um, and just search by your state, search by your city, search by your zip code, and find out exactly, you know, what elections are coming up in your area. From there, um, you can click on the uh, candidates' profiles, learn a little bit more about the candidates, what issues they stand for. Um, Post a comment. Um, well, if you're logged in as a as a member, you can post a comment on their on their wall, ask them a question, um, and then um, when you do sign in as a um, as a member, um, it's completely free to become a member, free for everybody to use. Candidates, voters, everybody. Um, you can. It'll, the the elections will tell you you know automatically which elections are coming up in your area. You'll get a notice about three days um, before in your email saying um, there's an election coming up in your area. Here's who's running um, to keep you informed. And then you can you know befriend the candidates and support the candidates if it's somebody you support. Um, and then you can make a little ballot. Um, so the, for the election that's coming in your area, you say, well, I'm going to support this guy over this guy. Put it in your ballots, and then you can print out the ballot and take it with you. Um, now, if everything on the site is free, what's the business model? And I'm going to turn to the business guy for that. What? How are you guys planning right now, to make money out of this? Right now, our money's coming through Google Ads that are displaying on the right-hand side of the website. So if anyone does click on those, a few pennies do come our way. Mm -hmm. But eventually, hopefully, um, we'll have candidates want to put banners and uh, other campaign-related um, businesses would want to post ads on our page when our visitors do start picking up a little bit more and get more hits to the page. What about user-generated content? You mentioned that briefly. Um, people people do follow the campaigns. People do go out and take pictures and videos and all kinds of podcasts and things like that. Do you have plans to include those things on the site? Um, right now, um, for this beta release, we have um, definitely a pictures section. Um, but as far as other rich media and things like that, um, it's in the works. Um, I... I don't know 
how soon those features will be available, but uh, yeah, obviously the more coverage we can get for the website, on the website, um, and the more content we can get, the better I think the experience for everybody would be. Well, another great reason for a candidate to come sign up for the website would be we're going to install or use a company called Noka, which is like a PayPal service where 0% is taken out of either end in terms of uh, commission going to the company collecting. So if you were to donate $100 instead of PayPal taken out, X percentage amount for them to, to run the service and to get the money to the candidate, NOCA will actually go from bank account to bank account and take no percentage out. So 100% of your donation goes right to the candidate's okay. campaign. That's something we're really excited about. It should be up in the next month or two. It sounds interesting. You'll be ready in time for the general elections in November, pretty much. That's the hope. Okay. We're riding this election election fervor wave, you know. Sure. So. Are you seeing, uh, because of the great interest that's been generated by the Democratic primaries, are you seeing a lot more interest from people than you thought? Or? I think everybody we've talked to has said it's a great idea, um, and they're excited to use it, and it's just a matter of building up the content now and getting it all on there. Um, so we just need as many users to sign up and be patient with us as we can um, as we as we promote it to candidates and stuff. Um, and yeah, I think even uh, people who are not typically into politics, at least this year with this kind of uh, really publicized election, there's a lot of um, interest in, in this sort of stuff. Anything that uh, we didn't talk about that you want to mention? Yeah, I mean, we, we've, got, we're, we've got a lot of other features that are being developed right now. Um, this is obviously a beta test for us just to get the whole thing going. Um, and we really just need as many users as we can to at least um, sign up. And um, you don't have to participate, just get your name in there so that we can tell the candidates. It's this chicken and egg thing where like, the candidates want us to have users so they can influence people, but the users also need to know who their candidates are. So exactly. This is the curse of user-generated content, is if there's no users making the content, then you're... It's a, it's a struggle, yeah. but it's growing slowly, and I think it's uh, definitely picking up. So. Well, great. Well, thanks for being here on the Compish Moves podcast. Yeah, thank you. My pleasure. Thanks for having us. Okay. Our second feature on the CompuSchmooze podcast today is for those of you who want to share your podcast or your music content between two iPods and don't quite know how to make that happen easily. And in fact, it's not that easy to do, and Apple and iTunes have made it a little bit complicated. But Nathaniel Weiss is one of the founders of MyShare.com, a company that has created a device called the MyShare to let iPod owners copy the content from one iPod to another, and you do it legally. You're respecting the copy protection that still exists on some of the music that people are downloading from iTunes and other commercial sources. Nathaniel spoke to us from his office in New York City. Nathaniel, welcome to the podcast. Thanks. Hi there. Tell me uh, a little bit about uh, how you got started with MyShare. What uh, what led you to create this unique device? Well, we we have two competing co- creation myths. Um, mine is that uh, I ride the subway in New York City a lot, and uh, and one of the loneliest things you can do on the New York City subway or in New York or in public now is is listen to an iPod. It's even more antisocial than uh, listening to a cell phone. And I thought it would be cool if there were a way to um, an excuse for people to sort of unplug or replug and, and, and connect to each other as opposed to just kind of living in their in their iPod uh, sort of uh, earpod world the um, the competing creation myth is uh, Josh uh, Hockman my partner who um, uh, who's the, the technology guy genius person behind all of this and uh, he was he's a surfer and he was surfing in Costa Rica and he was on the beach 
and there were no computers around, and he thought, wouldn't it be cool if I could connect the iPods without needing a computer? And, um, and it was really his idea, so I think his creation myth should probably uh, win out. So what were the challenges you faced? I mean, iPod and Apple computers in general are uh, pretty much, you know, closed systems. Uh, people love them for the design. They love them for the technology. But they are generally a very proprietary and closed-down, locked-down system. How did you tackle that? Uh, it, it's actually pretty straightforward. The, um, what, what the MyShare uh, system does is it uh, treats the iPod as a uh, USB storage device. Uh, so the same as a, uh, a thumb drive or uh, uh, external hard drive or something like that. And um, that's actually a capability built, uh, that's, that's built into the iPod, um, which is great. I mean, it's a, the iPod can be a really handy way to, to carry around files with you as, lo- as well as the music and video and, and uh, contacts and things. So we're just using that capability of the iPod. When the iPod's connected to my share, it basically uh, uh, is in the same mode it's in when it's connected to a Mac or a PC using iTunes. How would somebody go about using it? What would be the application? It's, uh, there are a lot of uh, g- a lot of great uses for it. I mean, a, a really simple one is uh, uh, let's say that you're you have a um, you know you want to distribute your podcast to people. Um, you have it available through iTunes and on the web. But what if you meet somebody at a coffee shop or bar or work or campus or uh, just somewhere out and about, and you want to give them your podcast? Uh, you just connect uh, two iPods together using this. Uh, it's about the size of a um, of one of the iPod classics, um, so it's a little bit bigger than a Nano, um, and a, a, a about the same mass as an iPhone. And you just—it's got two connectors on it. You connect the two iPods, and there's one button you press, and it transfers the files over from one iPod to the other. Um, it uh, uh, there's also a switch where you set whether you want to do video, music, or photo. So uh, to do the podcast, you would do it in music mode. And the way you select the files that you're going to copy, because it doesn't copy all the files, is you use the iPod's uh, on-the-go playlist, which is a pretty uh, handy feature. So you're basically doing the file selection on the source iPod, and uh, that makes it very easy to use our device. It's really just one button to tell it to go. What kind of uh, feedback are you getting from users? Has the device been out in the market for some time now? Yeah, we... we, uh, we, we kind of soft-launched it at the beginning of the year, so we've been selling it through MyShare.com since uh, kind of mid-January and sort of getting it out into more and more stores. Um, we're in uh, Urban Outfitters now and, and uh, a, a lot of Mac retail, uh, resellers like uh, TechServe in Manhattan and a, a lot of Mac resellers across the country. Uh, JNR Music World is a great mail-order place that has it. Um, and uh, we're getting... My favorite feedback we get is from people who are using this to distribute their own stuff who see it as a a publishing tool where they want to be able to uh, share their videos or share their audio, like my example with your podcast. Um, but it's also great if you have a playlist and uh, uh, and you, you want somebody else to sample it. Um, uh, or a lot of people have multiple iPods, and it's a way to kind of get the files synchronized on different iPods. Um, it, uh, it strictly honors all the rights management, so it's not a... Uh, it's not a useful tool for circumventing any of the copy protection or anything like that, which we're kind of proud of. We, we, want, it to be, uh, we want it to be kosher, and the uh, fact that we honor the DRM is, is one of the main ways that we keep it kosher. One of the, one of the uh, applications I could envision for it um, is in a corporate setting where uh, a company is perhaps putting their podcast content or other content on an iPod to give away at a convention and needs to make multiple copies of something like that. Have you heard of that being a uh, use? Yeah, we're actually looking at doing uh, 
you're peering into our pipeline. Huh. Uh, we're looking at doing a, a one where you can load 50 iPods at once. So it'll be a, a master list and you can, because um, uh, another good application, uh, we've been talking to the Brooklyn Museum of Art and some other museums about doing, uh, uh, you, you, you're a museum goer, you walk into the museum and you want to download the uh, audio tour or some video art. Uh, so this would be a way for the guests to the museum to get something on their iPod. And you could, if you could, if yeah. you could have multiple uh, connectors, you could serve ten people at once instead of just one. The iPod is a great uh, classroom tool, and uh, and and Apple's been uh, doing some marketing around that and trying to sell into schools. My share seems like it would be great in that environment too, because uh, we've actually been talking to a, a public school in Philadelphia, Masterman. Um, they use the note recording. And I'm not totally clear on what for, but they want the ability to share the notes, the the audio notes that you can do on an iPod. And we're looking at sort of modifying the software and, and uh, doing a version for them I could use, to play around with. I could also see it as, uh, you know, schools could use it perhaps for uh, loading up uh, audio textbooks. The consumer version is really good for one person to one person. Or, or, or if you're walking around with the iPod and you want to be able to share stuff with people. Um, but I think for some of these uh, more sort of like industrial or business applications, um, you probably would want something... Uh, uh, that had the ability to write to multiple iPods at once. And uh, this one, you just have to do one at a time. Mm-hmm. Um, also, the speed on, on this device, it's running at USB 2.0, but it's, it's running at USB 2.0 uh, uh, full speed, uh, which is slower. It's, it's terrible uh, nomenclature, but uh, USB full speed is actually slower than USB high speed. So it's quicker than downloading, but it's slower than connecting directly to the computer. And uh, uh, so some of the other things we're working on are, are uh, USB high-speed versions. So with our device, you get about uh, tops about a megabyte a second. Um, and with the USB uh, high-speed, you get about 10 or 20 times that. It's actually rated 40 times faster, but you never really see that in, in real-world r- real world performance. So what's next for MyShare? You talked about the um, device that will program multiple iPods. Anything else cool and sexy about it? Um, we've got a couple things in the works. Uh, we're also doing uh, some, some kiosk versions where, like the museum example, where you could you walk in and instead of uh, sharing from, from one person's iPod to another, it just would be a way to download things onto your own iPod. So the museum could have uh, uh, video art or audio tours or um, uh, a marketing company could have like, um, you know, movie trailers or health club videos or things like that. Um, and that's that's good for us because we're a, a young, growing company, and uh, gives us the some different uh, ways to use the same technology. And that could, um, be a, that could be a revenue stream for the museum, could it not? Yeah, although it, in a funny way, it actually cuts out a revenue stream. We have to think this one through more. But um, museums uh, uh, usually will give uh, the franchise for those uh, audio tours. Um, you know, that where you have to rent the equipment. Right, right. And then they'll get, like, a little bit of a cut on that. So, in a way, uh, uh, the, it's good because uh, I think people would rather listen on their own iPod, and it's more fun to get it, you know, in your own, on your own iPod and, and listen to it with your own headphones. But uh, the museums, I think, make some money off of those audio tours. So, uh, in a way, it would actually... They'd have to decide that it was really that they liked the interactivity with the user and, and the user having more the museum goer having more control over it because they probably would be giving up some money. Right, right. Um, I mean, we could do a vending machine version. Um, if there's anyone out there listening to this, we would love to talk to them. But we haven't we haven't looked at doing that. Um, 
we're actually our sort of tendency is like to try to enable people to uh, distribute things as much as possible, kind of the the internet feeling, but but in uh, in, in actual physical space. Anything else, uh, Nathaniel? We haven't talked about. I think this is uh, uh, besides the ability to share music. It's also great to to be able to share photos, and uh, uh, it's a it's a very natural thing. People seem pe- people seem to get it right away. Uh, that you know, there's an instinct. To, of course, I want to be able to connect iPods together and 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 move files from one to the other. And how come I can't do that anyway? And I, I think it's a little bit of a legacy from. Uh, uh, the Recording Industry Association and and how they negotiated the digital music uh, in the last almost ten years ago now, where they they were hostile to some of the MP3 early on, and I think Apple sort of said we're going to make it um, uh, we're going to make it hard for people to copy. We're not going to make it easy for people to copy things off of the iPod, and uh, I think at some point um, um, we're going to have to move ahead with our business, we're going to have to find something else to do because I think it's natural at some point this is going to be a feature that get, gets incorporated into future versions of the iPod. But for right now, we, we feel like we're providing a real a real service. And um, uh, Do you have any feedback from, uh, have you had any feedback from Apple? Uh, we've had conversations with individuals there, but uh, uh, not like an official... Um, not an official approval for the uh, made for iPod licensing program, which would, which would be terrific to get. Um, it's a, it gives you a, um, a little seal that you can put onto your, uh, onto your packaging and it reassures people that, uh, you're not going to blow up their iPod, which, which we don't do. Uh, it also, uh, uh, can help with distribution. So it's something that we'd like to get, uh, but we haven't yet. We're also looking at doing, um, uh, uh, some versions that will let you share share iPod files when connected to a computer, because uh, when you're when you're connected to the computer, you have the nice big screen and you can do a lot of fun things like uh, like compare the contents of two different iPods and 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 say, oh, here's something that you have that I don't have, or um, you really discover a lot of stuff. Um, and I think a couple of appeals you, you were asking before about feedback we've gotten to my share. Um, it's funny, a, a definite audience for this is people who like the latest gadget. And, you know, isn't it cool, isn't it neat that I can connect two iPods together? And, uh, and we, we, love, we, love, uh, we love those customers, those, those, uh, those users. But there's also a lot of people who um, we're discovering find it kind of a, a hassle to have to connect the iPod to the computer. Um, it, it, you know, they, get, they get someone to put stuff on the iPod for them, and then they kind of carry it around, and they never really change the content on it. And they, they seem to really respond to my share as an easier, simpler way to get things onto their iPod, to get new material onto their iPod without having to go through what for them is a complicated process of uh, the iTunes software and this and that and c- cabling it to a computer, mm-hmm. uh, which is interesting. I, I, we, we hadn't really anticipated it would be, it, it offers simplicity. It seems to offer simplicity to a lot of people, uh, which we hadn't really expected. That's been a surprise. Um, another another point I like making is um, uh, there's this fantastic social movement now called Creative Commons, where people are um, deliberately uh, uh, putting their work into a kind of version of the public domain, and and they're saying, I want my material to be to be shared. I want it to be sampled. I want it to be remixed. I want people to. I, w- I want the ideas in my art, or, or or my text, or my music, or my video, or, or or my drawings, or photography, or whatever, to be um, to spread as far and wide as possible. And um, it, uh, it's sort of a cultural version of the open source movement. 
And they're great commercial examples of successes, like the Grateful Dead uh, are famous for having uh, encouraged their fans to tape their shows. And there's like a whole subculture of, uh, of Dead fans sharing the uh, taped live shows. And, and there's sort of like a couple, there's new generations of bands that are, are doing that and are really thriving. There's one called Umphreys McGee. Um, it's a, a rock band that uh, distributes a lot of their stuff on podcast, live shows on podcasts and, and, and MP3s and things. And I think that my share is also tapping, tapping into that uh, sort of uh, that legit sharing, uh, peer-to-peer sharing world. And um, I'd like to see that to continue to, to develop. It's, um, it's, it's uh, I, don't know, I don't know how to say it. It's neat uh, that uh, uh, a lot of people are committed to the idea that the culture can move faster and in more interesting creative ways. If uh, if there are fewer restrictions on sharing, um, and and they're even finding ways to have commercial success with that um, from from the from the, uh, the sort of viral distribution. Well, it sounds great, and we wish you luck with it, Nathaniel. Nathaniel Weiss of MyShare and MyShare.com is where you can get the MyShare device and hook up your iPods and make sure that you have the same content on both. Thanks for being with us on the podcast. Many thanks, Steve. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the CompuSchmooze podcast. If you did, please tell your friends, or better yet, send them a link to the program so they can enjoy it themselves. If you have comments or suggestions about our programs, please email me. The address is steve at CompuSchmooze, C-O-M-P-U-S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E dot com. We'd also be pleased to receive audio comments. If you'd like, you can send us an MP3 file. Uh, to that address, or if you'd like, call our podcast comment line. In the U.S., it's 856-861-6146, and that'll work for Canada as well, all over North America. And you can call us in the U.K. at plus 44-020-7193-6146. We produce these programs in the studios of Professional Podcasts in Cherry Hill, New Jersey, on the web at professionalpodcasts.com. This is Steve Lubetkin. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you out there on the net. Take good care.